0: Welcome to the Mercy Commons podcast. Thank you for joining us today. We trust that the Word of God encourages you and that the Holy Spirit empowers you. My name is Nick, and I have the privilege of continuing our Galatians series. Um, last two weeks ago, um, for those of you that, that haven't been around or maybe missed a couple, what Paul was talking about to the Galatian church is the power of justification by faith alone, meaning that the way that we come into relationship with God is through only faith alone. He's used a number of metaphors to help us understand what that means. He's used the metaphor of adoption last week, and then today he reintroduces the metaphor of slavery. And so we pick up Galatians 4, verse 8. I'm reading from the ESV. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not God's. But now that you have come to know God, or rather been known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of this world, whose slaves you want to be once more? You observe days and months and seasons and years. I am afraid that I have labored over you in vain. Well, that portion of Scripture means, as you'll remember, when I started the series on Galatians, and the Greco-Roman world um, was filled with festivals and special days. Um, And they weren't necessarily days that were focused around God because the Greco-Roman world had a lot of different gods. And and what was expected of you if you were in a a Greco-Roman city was the fact that you would participate in these festivals. The reason that everyone needed to participate in these festivals is because if we didn't make that God happy, some kind of calamity would befall us. And so there's this group of people that are not participating in these festivals. This is a problem, because if we're not participating in this festival, then the goddess of Diana won't give us fertility and our crops won't won't come. But there was this uh, thing that commentators call the Jewish exception. And the Jewish exception meant that if you were Jewish, you didn't need to participate in the pagan festivals. You did, however, if you were Jewish, need to participate in the Jewish festivals. Um, and there was a whole lot of those Jewish festivals as well. And now the Galatians are caught in the middle. Now the Galatians are people that are not participating in the pagan festivals and are not through the justification by faith model that uh, Christianity subscribes to are not participating in the Jewish Old Testament festivals. So they're kind of caught in the middle. Uh, they're living in this Greco-Roman city and people are saying, why aren't you acting like a Greek? Um, and they're saying, it's because I follow Jesus. And then the Jews are saying, well, why don't you follow these festivals if you say you follow Jesus? Because we follow Jesus and we're circumcised and we don't eat these foods and we follow these festivals. And so th- this sounds kind of familiar, Right. They're not part of one group, they're not part of another. It's kind of what we, as faithful followers of Jesus, can feel in the context of our world. We're in a very similar situation where we can feel, in a sense, culturally homeless, uh, because we understand the way in which God wants us to live, and yet there's this one group calling us to live in this very specific way, and another group calling us to live in a different way. Well, Paul says as kind of the overarching reality of how we deal with this, is that you are known by God. It, it, it's, it's important for me that the Holy Spirit has guarded the fact that Paul says, but now that you have come to know God, or rather, been known by God, you know, as the scribe, he could have said, you know what, scratch that out. Let's just say, but now that you're known by God, because he's wanting to make a clear point now. It was not our pursuit of God. It was God's pursuit of us. It's not that you know God, it's that you are known by God. This is a rich and personal word. Now, the way in which the word know is used today is is a little bit different. I've had someone say to me, I know you, Soltis. What does that mean? Is that intimate? Is that kind? It's not, right? It means, I know dark things about you. I know why you're doing these things. When you say when you say someone, I know you, man, it's never like, I know you, I'm your friend. When you say, I know you, there's like a, uh-oh, what does he know, you know? As we covered last week, we know that we are known by God because we have received His Spirit. This word know is one of intimate fellowship. This is, this is a fellowship that God initiated This is a fellowship that was fulfilled by Him in Jesus Christ, that is guarded by Him in the Holy Spirit until He returns. It is a free gift of grace that gives you access to the Father. This morning in the prayer meeting, Stephanie reminded us that the gift of God's grace is not just a net zero. We were praying about the fact that God has forgiven our sins, that our sins are as far as the east is from the west. And for many of us, there's the sense of like, okay, we were down here and God forgave us our sins, but now we're at a net zero. Now we've really got to try hard to, make him, to, to get him to, for us to feel acceptable in his sight. That is not what Christianity is about. It is not a net zero of moving from this place of deficit or debt to a place of now zero, now we've got to work out. We are fully pardoned and fully loved. And so we are not just forgiven us, and the love that the Father has for the Son is lavished on us. We are covered in His robe of righteousness. That's what it means to be known by God. It is full and complete, fully loved, fully known, and fully pardoned. And the, the challenge with that is that oftentimes we think that our assurance is based around what we do. Or the fact that our hearts, how much our hearts are set on Jesus. But the joy is that it is His heart that is set on us. That I am firmly held in the grip of His grace. If I let go, He still holds on to me. We were meeting with a couple in our lounge uh, this week. um, And uh, we were talking about what it means to grow in Jesus. What kind of steps can you take in terms of discipleship? And, and, um, and I said to, to this man, I said, there is nothing you can do that will make God love you more. There is nothing you can do that will make God love you less because the fullness of his love and affection for you was displayed on the cross. And the power of his love and affection for you is displayed when he rose again and seated at the right hand of the Father. And he said to me, that's ridiculous. <laughs> it is ridiculous. I looked up the word ridiculous. Worthy of ridicule. That's what it means. It means worthy of ridicule. I mean, it's ridiculous. That's what the Judaisers were saying to the Galatians. Sure, you've done all these things, but what do you mean you don't have to do anything else? That is ridiculous. It is worthy of ridicule. They were being ridiculed for saying, you know, we have faith in Jesus. Yes, but we are circumcised, and we follow these laws, and we don't eat these foods. And they're saying, we have faith in Jesus. That is sufficient. And they were being ridiculed in that context. Now, this does not mean that we don't produce good works or participate in activities that are fruitful or abstain from harmful or ungodly activities. Self-denial is not a Pauline idea. Self-denial is something that Jesus said, if you want to follow me, deny yourself, pick up your cross, and follow me. It's, it's not a kind of epistle idea and that's not present in the gospel idea. Self-denial is part of Christianity and this has always been the challenge of being able to preach the true gospel, the complexity of faith and works. Where James says, show me your faith and I will show you my works. And we're like, how are these two books in the Bible? Like, did James write this in opposition to Galatians? No, because there is this beautiful um, dovetail With regards to the fact that we are fully pardoned and loved by Jesus, and the grace that enables us to say, My Father, Abba Father, is the same grace that empowers us to live the kind of life that He's called us to live. We've got to understand, we've got to read the room, right? I was saying to Sean the other day, I do not have people coming to me saying, Man, I want to do more, I want to work harder. Uh, I want to, in my flesh, finish what is unfinished with Jesus. That's not the conversations we are having right now. The conversations we are having right now is, I want to be fully pardoned, but live the kind of life that I lived before I was fully pardoned. So we've got to read the room. This is slightly different. But even Paul, even though legalism is the issue, that Paul is heading really hard for the Galatian church later on, and we'll get to it. It's actually Sean who will get to it we'll get to it, where Paul says to these guys that are caught in legalism, and he's spending four and a half, almost five chapters, releasing them from the bondage of legalism, he says to them in chapter five, you were called to freedom. And everyone is, yeah, we're called to freedom. Brothers and sisters, only don't let this freedom be an opportunity to indulge your sinful impulses, but serve one another through love. Later on, Peter says to the churches that he is overseeing as an apostolic figure, he says, do not use your liberty or freedom as a cloak for vice. Do not use your liberty to cover up the indulgence of sinful desires. I do want to say this, the Bible does not teach justification by faith, and again, justification is being made right with God, justification by faith, and sanctification being made holy by works. That is not what the Bible teaches. However, the Bible does teach fruitfulness, freedom, a countercultural life that is compelling because it is a joyful life. Not a life of like, I can't do this, I can't do that, I can't do the other thing. But a life of understanding that it was for freedom that Christ set me free. So let me live as a free person. Let me not be bound to the things that used to bind me before. Sam Storm says this, In respect to justification, grace stands opposed to works. However, in respect to sanctification, grace is the source of works. This simply means that whereas we are saved by grace and not of works, we are saved by grace unto good works. Good works are the fruit, not the root, of God's saving grace. Good works are the fruit, not the root, of God's saving grace. Now Paul, as we've seen before, Paul is pleading with the Galatians. Galatians 4 verse 12, and we're going to read through to 20. Brothers, I entreat you, I urge you, I plead, I implore you, become as I am, for I also have become as you are. You did me no wrong. You know it was because of a bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you first. This means that he was traveling through the area of Galatia wanting to get somewhere else. He got sick, and when he got sick, he does what all of us do, he planted churches, right? This is like a theme in Paul's life, you know? He gets shipwrecked on Malta, what do I do? Let me plant a church, you know, that's, that's what he does. You did not scorn or despise me, but you received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus. What then has become of your blessedness? Or where is that joyful and grateful spirit that you felt towards me then? For I testify that if possible, you would have gouged out your eyes and given them to me. Have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? Have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? They, he's talking about the Judaizers, they make much of you, but for no good purpose. They want to shut you out that, they can make, that you can make much of them. It is always good to be made much of for a good purpose, not only when I'm present with you. My little children, for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you, I wish I could be present with you now and change my tone, for I am perplexed about you. He's not mad. He is mad, but he's not mad at them. I remember we were chatting in my, my life group the one day, and we were talking about how the fact that anger is a secondary emotion. And anger is usually the fruit of an emotion that is more like sadness or fear. Um, and as we were talking about that, and you know, people weren't listening to me, and I said, I'm getting very sad right now. <laughs> and there's, there's, you can hear it as Paul, is, as Paul is talking to, as he's written to the Galatians at there's Ahasuerus, there's a sadness, but there's also this, this kind of anger, not at them, but at the Judaizers. He's not waiting for an invitation. He sees the danger. In Galatians 3, he says, O foolish or spiritually dull Galatians, who has bewitched you or cast a spell on you or affected your ability to see? He says to them, I wish I was present with you. I wish I was face-to-face with you so that I could change my tone. So he understands that his tone is a little harsh. And he's saying, I wish I was there so I didn't have to be so harsh in my tone. And that's something we can learn from, right? We always misunderstand when something is written. Uh, yesterday, Jeannie sent me a text. She said, "Hey, I think it's going to rain. Um, uh, can we can we just do the donuts inside?" And I said, "No, just bring raincoats." <laughs> now, and then I used the 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 winking emoji, you know. And then she replies to me, and she says, "Oh, well, okay. Um, I'll just let them know." And I'm like, "Whoa, hang on! Like, did you think I was serious?" I'm like, that's why emojis are not sufficient in the conveying of tone, you know? That's why, so Jeannie's receiving this text thinking, okay, I guess we can wear raincoats tomorrow and hand out donuts in the rain, you know? I guess we can do that. I wish I was present with you because when you're present with someone and when you're speaking the truth, you have the ability to actually not just kind of um, annotate your tone, but you have the ability to actually see how this is landing with someone, And so he's saying the same thing to them. Even though he recognizes this this sounds harsh, he's not backing off. And when someone is behaving in a way, and parents, you'll know this, where you know the reason they're behaving in this way is because they're being influenced by someone else. When your child picks up bad habits, they bring a word home from school where you're like, they didn't learn learn that here. It's that little Jimmy that taught him that word. I'm telling you. Always the Jimmys. I know. This This is the challenge. There is still a level of discipleship that needs to take place, even though they have been led astray. You you cannot just not disciple them and actually help them understand that this is not the way that it happened. Uh, When I was 12 years old, I got my brother to fill a bag. I said to him, hey, you know, it'd be a great idea. I said, I know, right? You know? I know. Older brothers, younger brothers. When your older brother says, you know it'd be a great idea, you immediately call your parents. You know what I mean? I said to him, we lived on the eighth floor. I said, we've got to fill this bag, this thing of water, and fill it up real real hard. And then what we do is when the worker comes out to sweep the floor, we drop it on him. You know? It's called a water bomb. You guys never dropped a water bomb? So, um, so he's like, that's a great idea. And so I helped him fill it. I opened the window, but I let him drop it, right? <laughs> no, no, you know. My mom comes home, says, uh, uh, what happened? Of course, the guy got completely soaked, looked up and saw the only window. He works there, so he knows exactly where the water bomb comes from. Um, he grabs my mom as she comes in and she says, who did this? And I said, Sturge did. Technically, pharisaically, I was correct, right? (laughs) Because he was the one who dropped the water bomb. Now, both of us got disciplined, and you might think, okay, that's a little unfair for him to get disciplined, seen as I was the one that caused that. It's the same thing that's happening here with Paul. Paul is saying, guys, these guys are not doing you good, but it's actually your responsibility to stand up and say that we're not going to live like this. It's your responsibility to say, no, I know the freedom that I have in Jesus, and I don't need to live like that. Paul is saying, I'm telling you the truth, guys. This is not the way you want to live. This is not the way that Jesus wants you to live. Have I become your enemy because I'm telling you the truth? And so we all say we want the truth, right? Tell me the truth. Tell me what you really think. We don't want the truth. What human beings want is affirmation. We don't want the truth. We want affirmation. We want people to agree with our choices, we want people to agree with our ideas, we want people to agree with our actions. We don't really want the truth. Men, how many times has your wife said to you, what do you think about this? And you are trying to figure out what is happening right now. <laughs> Does she really want to know? How do I say that? How many of you have been to a child recital? And the parent that invited you to the child recital says, So, what did you think? And you want to speak the truth. Are you really asking me what I thought? You know? How many of you have sat down with a meal? Hey, man, what did you think? Mmm. I've never had anything like this. That's a good one. Just keep that. You know what I mean? I've never had anything like this. Child recital. I've never been to anything quite like that, you know? So you can tell the truth in that way, but we don't wanna hear that. We wanna hear, it was awesome, it was amazing. I looked great, the meal was fantastic. We wanna hear that. When the truth that is being spoken opposes my desires, choices, and thinking, I usually have one of three responses or a combination of all three of those. You don't love me, you don't know me, you have an agenda. When, uh, when COVID was going on, I was like, God, if I was to get another job, I would so want the job of a UPS driver. And you're like, why? Because no one is ever mad at the UPS driver. Why? Because he brings you what you want. You are so glad to see him. You can't wait. You've already paid for it. All he's doing is delivering to you exactly what you ordered. That's what a UPS driver does. That's not what a friend does. That's not what a brother and sister in Christ does. It's not what a pastor does. And so part of the challenge is for us to say, okay, but Nick, this is a leadership concept. This is a leader speaking to a congregation, um, and, but there are critical lessons that we can learn as a community of faith because of our responsibility to one another as adopted children of God in a family of God. Ephesians 4, verse 14 says, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine so that we may not be. Rather speaking the truth in love, we. Paul is including himself in that. I also have the possibility of being um, deceived. I also have the possibility of being thrown to and fro. We are to grow up in every way into the head who is Christ. So the first thing we say is, I'm not loved by that person. And we think that love, acceptance, and truth are opposed to each other. The other question we've got to ask, if, if we are truth tellers, and there are truth tellers here, is like, do I really love this person? Keller says this, truth without love is harshness. It gives information, but in such a way that we cannot really hear it. Love without truth is sentimentality because it supports and affirms us, but keeps us in denial about our flaws. And so, Scripture calls us to speak the truth in love. Deep, hard truths that are motivated by a sacrificial love are the truths that people will be able to hear. And there's a difference between validating someone's feelings about God and allowing a brother and sister to begin to believe and behave that those feelings are true about God. For example, I feel like God is angry. I feel like God is distant. And we need to be a people that can hear that. But when our brothers and sisters, or when the people that God has called us to disciple, begin to act in such a way that they believe that God is angry and distant, then we have to speak truth because that's begun to shape the way in which they are relating to God. And yes, I know that you feel He's angry, and I know that you feel He's distant, and I want to be with you and hold that in this time. But the decisions that you're making are, have gone way beyond the sense of I feel. It's gone to the sense of I believe. I see God now as angry and as distant. I know it's complex, guys, and I know that we stand there and some of us are in the truth-telling business, and some of us are in the listening business. And um, today, I, was, I mean, uh, on Thursday, I was at a pastor's conference, and uh, Stephanie happened to be there. And I, I got an emergency phone call from uh, another pastor in another place. And, um, and they know me really well. And so the reason that they called me is they didn't call me to listen. This is, this is what they said. I know you'll tell me the truth. I have lots of people that are listening to me, I need to know, have I done something to deserve the way that I'm being treated here? If you have someone that is listening to your soul, you have the freedom to actually go to someone and say, but I also want, I also want to see whatever is hidden. I also want to see whatever speck might be in my eye. Make sense? Yeah. Difficult to apply. What has become of your blessedness, Paul asks them. Where is that joyful and grateful spirit you felt then? When, when I first came to you and preached the gospel to you, you were joyful and you were grateful. Because I testify that if possible, you would have gouged your eyes out and given them to me. Now, some people say that's because Paul had some kind of um, eye disease that he was talking about. That it's, it's actually not. In, Gr- in Greek, there's this wonderful saying. Like, you know the saying in, in our culture, mamas, right? Where babies are called mama. I don't know what that is or why we do that necessarily. Um, I think it's cute. In Greek, is saying, and you call someone that you love dearly, my eyes. You are so precious to me. So like a little girl, you say, come here, my eyes. That means there's such love and affection, but also there's this preciousness that you understand that you are saying, you are as precious to me as my eyesight is. And that's what Paul is saying. Guys, what happened? What happened? We, we didn't just have a casual leader congregation relationship. We had a relationship that was built on love, so much so that you loved me to the point where I know you would have gouged your eyes. And he's, not, he's not literally saying they're going to gouge your eyes up, but, but literally this saying that, that, that you were calling me matiamu, you were calling me my eyes. What happened? How do I know that I'm speaking the truth in love? Is my love for this person so sacrificial that I would be willing to give my eyes for them. Because that's how we balance that, right? Because if you're, if you're on the truth-teller side, you're like, but this is true. But if, if you're on the loving and holding side, you're like, but I love them and I care for them. or well, both are true. And so the truth-tellers need, need the matyamu side. And the matyamu side, guys, need to be able to say, but truth will set you free. The truth that Jesus is being formed in you will set you free. That's how you know that. I'm not loved by this person. This person doesn't know me. Brothers, I urge you to become as I am, for I also have become as you are. I became like you, and you became like me. Paul says, I became like a Gentile. I did everything that you guys did. I ate the food that you ate. I slept where you did. I, I became, quote, unclean from a, from a Jewish perspective. I do know what it's like. I don't just know you, but I know your situation, what Paul is, is telling them. I don't just love you, I know you because I have also been rejected by these people. Not just rejected, they are following me around from town to town trying to kill me. So I know what you are experiencing. I know the depth of what you are experiencing. Paul reminds them that their friendship is reciprocal. And because it's reciprocal and well established, he's doing what friends ought to do. He's speaking the truth in love. I'm not known by this person. How many of you guys have heard the phrase, bro, you don't know me, right? Have you heard that? Is that, is that like just a statement of fact? It's not a statement of fact, right? There's a very emotional kind of laden term, you don't know me. In other words, I'm not interested in anything you have to say. Bro, you don't know me. And, and it, it is true to a degree. This, this statement is more of a warning. How about the other statement? You know me. When do you use that statement? When you've messed up, right? You use that statement when you've messed up. But bro, you know me. You know that that's not who I am. You know me. And it's a statement we make when we think that people have misunderstood our words or actions and we're doing that to remind them of our relationship, to remind them of this love that is there. That yes, this may have hurt you, but you know me. You know, you know our relationship. James 1, verse 19 says, Know this, my dear brothers and sisters, everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. Do you know what that doesn't say? Uh, My brothers and sisters, everyone should be quick to listen and never speak. It doesn't say that. It just says slow to speak and slow to get angry. I think one of the ways in which the culture of love and truth telling in a community is we need to listen to that other person, but I think probably the area that we fail the most is we don't listen to God. Because I think maybe if you ask yourself the question, the amount of mental energy that I've spent around this situation with my friend, with my husband, with my children, with my partner... That has gone on in my mind, if that was 30 minutes, have I spent 15 minutes just praying for them? Just praying that God would give me grace, that God would reveal something to them? Slow to speak, quick to listen, not just to them in terms of what the situation is, but to God in terms of what He's saying about that. In the context of community, hopefully you know that when someone speaks to you the truth, that you know them and they are known by you. You know who doesn't know you? Your favorite author or podcast host? You know who doesn't know you? Are the people that are are set so far aside who are brilliant and exceptional, but actually are not willing to get dirty in the muck of your life? There's people around you who are less clever. There's people around you who are um, less talented who are actually saying, I love you, and I know you, and I want to speak the truth in love. How do I know I'm speaking the truth in love? Have I spent time and energy listening to this person? Have I spent time empathizing and seeking to know them in their situation? Have I spent time in prayer? And does this person know me? Am I known to this person as much as they are known to me? Lastly, they have an agenda. When we hear truth, you don't love me. We hear truth, you don't know me. We hear truth, you have an agenda. Brothers, they make much of you, but for no good purpose. They want to shut you out so that you may make much of them. That's always good to be made much of for a good purpose, and not only when I'm present with you. So what was happening is, is as Paul as Paul would would leave, these, these guys would come in and they would create this circle. And you can only be part of our circle if you don't eat these foods and you, you don't do these things. And what Paul is saying is they have an agenda. The reason why they're doing that is so that they can elevate their status. And sometimes when we hear truth, or even when we want to speak truth, we assume that the people that are bold enough to speak this truth are doing it because my choices, and my behaviors are impacting how they are viewed by other people. Now, this is complicated. It is. Because a coach is judged by the performance of his athletes. A teacher is judged often by the performance of her pupils. A CEO is judged by the way in which she leads her team. And so there is this measure of truth to that, right? And so there is this this complicated sense of of actually saying, okay, but the way that, that people are responding to this message reflects on me as a leader, as a disciple, as a worker. That is true. However, it cannot be the reason that you are speaking truth to someone. Because you look bad. This is exceptionally hard when it comes to parenting. Exceptionally hard you can't do that. Why? Is it against the idea of Christ being formed in me? No, but five people in the congregation are going to ask me why you did that. That's not a good enough reason. There has to be a reason that is the umbrella of all of this which Paul gets to, so that Christ is formed in you. Not so that we are culturally acceptable not so that we can manage some way of living that is just a little better than the people around us, so that Christ is formed in us. Now, you may not be concerned about how someone's behavior is affecting your status, because as I was praying and I was preparing for this, I got a real gut punch from God. I'm, I'm much less concerned about how I look based on someone's behavior, but this is what does concern me. This is going to be a lot of work. And that's also not a good enough reason. Because I can see the path you're going on. I can actually see that it's dangerous for you. I can see that. But what God often reveals to me, and as a parent, and as a leader, and and we're all leaders in some kind of context, one of the things you've got to come to terms with is, do I love that person enough to pick up their mess? And I have warned them, but for me, this is what was the gut punch. I'm not that concerned about how Priscilla's behavior affects how people see me as a leader. But I I am more concerned about how Priscilla's behavior is going to mean a lot of work for me. That's not a good enough reason. That's not a reason that expresses love. That's not a reason that helps people. Wow. It's okay. Sorry about that. How do I know that I'm speaking the truth in love? Am I genuinely concerned for them, or am I concerned that their behavior, their desires, their choices affect how people view me, and am I concerned that their behavior, choices, desires, and actions are just going to mean more work for me? I've told this story before. My wife is amazing. There's many stories around that topic, (laughs) but specifically this topic. I remember one of our daughters had, um, really, when she was growing up, a strong reaction to sugar. And I know this is distracting, but, um, but this is a good story, so pay attention. Um, and so we would warn her, and we would say, Baby, just remember to be careful with what you eat. She went to the sleepover. She must have had a ton of sugar. And she was throwing up. And Karin was there. Holding her hair out of the bowl, just loving her. One thing she didn't say, I told you, baby. And we had that conversation later on, but in that moment when she was saying, I love you so much that even though you've chosen to do something that is not for your good, but I'm here to help you. And that's what Jesus does with us consistently and continually. Neil, it's okay. We can leave that for now. Band, you can come up. Truth-telling and truth-hearing is not about creating a certain way of behavior that all of us align to so that we know that we are in the in-group. That's exactly what the Judaizers were doing to the Galatian church. It is about verse 19, my little children, for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. True spiritual formation is that Christ is being formed in you. Being known by God is the reshaping, reorienting, reforming of every aspect of my life, emotionally, mentally, even physically. It is for our good and for His glory that God wants us to live in a way that is, that is better for us. I think of this idea of Christ being formed in us, and I think of pregnant ladies. I'm, I, I'm absolutely amazed. This idea of Christ being formed in us, which means that he begins to take up more space. Karen gives me all the gory details about like how your organs shift and move and become smaller, and your feet get bigger. And I'm like, are you kidding me? What is happening here? Because something is being formed in you that is so precious that in the pain... And in the difficulty of what is happening, your focus is on that Christ is being formed in me. This is hard, this is difficult, but this is beautiful. Man, when I look at that and I say I'm in the anguish, Paul says, I'm in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. Am I allowing the hard truths of Scripture to form Christ in me? Am I allowing the work of His Spirit to form Christ in me? Am I allowing my brothers and sisters in this new family of God to form Christ in me? Am I taking my position both as someone that is helping labor and someone that is laboring at the same time so that Christ is formed in me? Friends, this is my great confidence. My great confidence is that we are fully known fully loved by God. So when we hear those truths, we don't have to ask that question, do you love me? Do you know me? We certainly don't have to ask the question, is this for your benefit? Because in Hebrews, we are reminded, it says, therefore he, Jesus, had to be made like his brothers and sisters. In other words, take on this tent, this form, in every way This was so that he could become a merciful and faithful high priest. Every pang of childbirth that you are feeling because Christ is being formed in you, every temptation, every trial has been tasted by Jesus even to death. In order to wipe away the sins of the people, why did he taste this? So that he could deal with it once and for all. He's able to help those who are being tempted since he himself experienced suffering when he was being tempted. He knows us. He loves us. He certainly didn't do it for his own benefit. His life proved that he knows us. His death proves that he loves us. And his resurrection and power seated at the right hand of God shows us that all of what he did was not for his benefit, but for ours. Let's pray. Father, I want to thank you that you are entirely self-sufficient. I want to thank you that you don't need us to act in a certain way. It doesn't affect your mood. It doesn't affect your commitment to us. I want to thank you that even as as we said at the beginning, that, that this idea that we cannot do anything to earn your love or keep your love is ridiculous. It's so, it's astonishing it is your love, your knowledge of us, and the fact that you acted so sacrificially that helps us come to terms with saying, God, I want to love you, I want to know you, and I want to be the kind of person that makes your love known to others. Spirit of God, I pray that as we ponder these things, that you would minister to us, we are fully known and fully loved is because of the shed blood of Jesus and his broken body and if you are a Jesus follower I want to invite you to the table there's a table on my left here with wine, Uh, there's juice at the back here in the back Uh, I want to invite you to grab the elements come back to your seat and I'll lead us from there fall upon you Mercy Seat, where the blood of Jesus speaks for me. Mercy Seat was a place in the Old Testament where the idea is someone would sit in judgment, and in order for that judgment to be set aside, the blood of lambs and goats needed to be sprinkled on that Mercy Seat. We stand in the affection of the Father, known and loved by Him because the blood of Jesus speaks a greater word. And this morning, I know that throughout church history, we've really made a mess of the idea of confession and communion. For many of you, you may come out of church traditions where the idea of confession is a negative thing. And yet, it's because of communion that confession is a freeing thing. And so, this morning, I just want to invite you, just in that moment where you are, to say, God, because I'm fully known, because I'm fully loved. I'm going to examine my heart and see that I'm living in the freedom that you've called me to live. Just as the band continues to play that song, The Mercy Seat. Just as we come before the mercy seat of God saying, I don't need to do anything else but basically accept the grace that you have given me. There may be something where you're like, God, help me with this. The truth is penetrating my heart about this. I'm fully known, fully loved. You did everything for me. So let's spend maybe 30 seconds to a minute, just as Scripture says, examine yourselves. Now now hear me clearly. We're not examining ourselves to see if we are worthy of the cup that we are taking. We know that we are not. But we are examining ourselves to see, Spirit of God, you know me, you love me. Expose areas where you want me to be free in and help me to walk in that freedom. Father, we thank you for the deep truth
1: that we were just saying, that we just heard a song that where you are, we are always welcome. Lord, you are the, uh, as uh, Syl reminded me and our little group this morning praying, that you are the lifter of our heads. Uh, You uh, love to look us in the face. And that because of Christ, like, we are so just welcome. And so the things that we need to confess to you, it's just sharing the burden and that you give us your life and strength and grace and you give us everything that we need. And so, Lord, as a as a people, we hold these elements in our hands. We hold the bread that is a reminder that your body was broken for us. We take this in remembrance of you. take the cup and we are reminded and we remind ourselves that because of the blood shed for us your blood Jesus that you came freely the Father sent you you came freely you lived and you died for us this blood that was shed for us for the forgiveness of all of our sins We receive it with gratitude in Jesus' name. Now, church, if um, you need to receive prayer this morning, Uh, the band is going to continue to play. So folks here to my left, to your right, if maybe there's something that the Lord brought up that um, you do need to confess, It's it's a good thing. Confession is not a bad thing. We are in Christ, there's no shame right? We, it, it, sins have been removed. The the the, the, uh, the the penalty for sin has been removed, and there's great freedom in actually walking in the light with one another, and I would encourage you. I know it can feel scary, but man, it's there's real freedom in that. So maybe if there's something that's stirring in you that you need to either confess or you just need support with something to receive prayer this morning, there's folks here to my left, to your right. Uh, grab some prayer. Um, they're going to continue to play, and we... Uh, Are we actually in here this morning or are we out? We're out back because the sun is actually popped out. That's great, right? Um, So, for the rest of us, we're going to be hanging out in the back. We'd love to say hi if you're a visitor. Love to give you a free coffee and a donut. And uh, we love you. Go be the church.
0: Thank you for listening to the Mercy Commons podcast. If you enjoyed today's content, please rate us and hit subscribe. And if you'd like to learn more about us, visit our website at mercycommons.church.